so much information uh, to cover this morning. Um, I think we'll make it all the way through the 13 verses, uh, assuming my voice holds up. Uh, so I apologize for my voice this morning. I'm just happy that I have one. Uh, but we're going to be in Mark chapter 7 this morning, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. And the idea that we're looking at this morning is empty worship. And while you're turning there just to, to catch up with, with where we've been and what we looked at, we just saw a crowd of disciples, and I use that term loosely, of disciples of Jesus that were with him, but then they walked away from him when they didn't like the message that he had. They didn't like the message that he had delivered. We spent, I think, six weeks building up the details and, and the case there. But what we also saw was we saw his true disciples and Judas, and I separate Judas from true disciples there because we know that he's going to betray Jesus, but we saw his true disciples and Judas stay with him and to continue to follow him. Uh, remember Peter's response that we looked at last week uh, when Jesus turned to him and asked if they would leave also, John 6, 68 and 69. Uh, Peter's response to Jesus when he said, will you also go away? Peter said, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. What we saw was we saw the, the true disciples' commitment to following the true God. No matter what the crowd did, no matter what the mass of people did, they walked away. We saw his true disciples stay with him. And, and Peter acknowledged he stepped up and, and voiced what he truly thought, as he usually did. But we see some growth here in what Peter had to say because he says, where else are we going to go? We believe that you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You're the one that we are looking for. Jesus is going to closely work with his disciples here, with his apostles here, and he's going to continue going to train them to continue after he is gone. It, it won't always be easy for them. Uh, it will come with plenty of trials and persecution. But we see his disciples, his apostles here, are committed. They will follow, they will learn, and their faith will grow. They won't be perfect, and we'll see that displayed in a great way when we get closer to studying the crucifixion of Christ. We see his disciples run away. Uh, and, and struggle with, with their faith there. But they will learn, and their faith will grow. And as we fast forward later into the New Testament, we see them giving their lives for their Lord, for their Savior. In our study today, we will see, his, we'll see Jesus, and we'll see His disciples too ambushed by the religious elite of the day. And Jesus will have some strong words of truth for these religious elitists. Uh, we'll look at them as the scribes and the Pharisees here. But we're going to look at our text right now. Uh, we're gonna, right now we'll read verses 1 through 13 so we can get our minds around this whole idea. Uh, we have a, a parallel account of this also in Matthew 15, uh, starting in verse 1. You could read that on, on your own time if you would like. But let's look at Mark chapter 7, verse number 1 right now. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. 
For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not that thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Esaias prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you so much that that we can look into your word now. I pray that you will give us understanding. I pray that, uh, that the Holy Spirit, that he will just be active, that he will work in our hearts, um, that, that he will challenge us, and that, um, that the Holy Spirit will just work in our lives and, and point out any areas that, that we might be struggling with or things we might be holding on to or or. Just I pray that you will work and that you will be active uh, in our hearts right now. I pray that you'll help us to be open. I pray that you'll give us understanding. Uh, please, please just work in us. I thank you for your faithfulness to us. I thank you that you continue to care for us and you continue to love us and you continue to, to pour your, your grace and your mercy on us. I pray that you'll just help us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So what we know about the Pharisees, we've looked at them a little bit, we've studied them a little bit, they do not approve of Jesus. Uh, they, I'm talking about the majority of Pharisees here. They do not approve of Jesus. We know that they don't like Jesus. We know that they don't like people following Jesus. Uh, they're kind of jealous of people following Jesus. We know that they are continually looking for ways to discredit Jesus in the eyes of the people. Their hatred will, will grow so strong that they're going to eventually call for his life. They're going to call for ways to make him trip up or try to make him trip up so that they have something to, to accuse him, to discredit him, where they can have him crucified. Here we see them take advantage of what they think, and that's key word, what they think is an opportunity to find fault in what Jesus was doing. Look at verse 1 again. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. So I'm going to give you lots of details this morning, so, so bear with me here. Uh, these Pharisees, who they were, was they were, they were guardians of the legalistic traditions of Judaism. Uh, they avoided 
interaction with people they considered to be sinners. And that's tough right there because we're all, we're all sinners. So you, you find them being isolated. Their name means separated one. They even looked at the common Jewish people with condescension. And we can find examples of that in Scripture of these Pharisees thinking that they're, they're so great and they're so holy. And they can look at other people and, and say, you know, thank you that I'm not like you. I'm, I'm so holy. I have this all figured out. I am I'm so special to God because of, of what I do and the traditions that I keep. They thought that they were the most holy of all the Israelites. The problem was that their holiness was based on external standards. If it was, it was based on how well they kept their traditions and man-made rules that had been added to the law over the years. So it wasn't even how well they obeyed what God had said. It was how well they kept and they obeyed the rules that they had made up, that their fathers had made up. And we'll talk about that in a minute because it is absolutely ridiculous the way that their rule books grew. Then we have the scribes. Most of the scribes were associated with the Pharisees. Uh, they were looked at as lawyers, as professional theologians and Old Testament scholars. Most of the scribes and the Pharisees were in open opposition to Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at today, this, this group of Pharisees and scribes that were openly opposed to Jesus. We see this group of, of scribes and of Pharisees coming from Jerusalem, coming to Galilee. It's possible, this is me right here thinking, it's possible that the Galilean Pharisees asked for them to come check on Jesus. Uh, he was a threat to what they were doing. It's possible that they wanted some backup from Jerusalem, so they call in these scribes and these Pharisees, hey, come check out what Jesus is doing here. We need some help. We need your, your authority here. Because if you think about it, Jerusalem was the hub of the Jewish religion. The temple was there. The Sanhedrin were there. It was a place that these other scribes and these Pharisees would look to for their final sense of authority. I guess, if you will. So we could see them possibly, these, these Galilean Pharisees calling and saying, hey, come check this Jesus out. Come see what's going on. Or they could have just been concerned hearing about Jesus and they wanted to go see for themselves, get the pros in there to try to catch Jesus stumbling or doing something wrong so they could accuse him. Look at verse number two. And when they saw some of the disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. So they see what they think is an opportunity to challenge Jesus. And if you've ever just quickly read through this story, or, or if you've never fully studied out the details, you can look at that and you can say, man, that's, that is kind of gross. Like, the apostles are eating, eating food and they're not washing their hands. Like, that's not sanitary at all. And you can see the way our minds would work, especially in this germaphobe day and age that we have, where everybody has some hand sanitizer attached to their belt. You know, and you walk into a room and you sanitize your hands. But you could look at this from our perspective and, and quickly see, that's kind of gross. Why aren't they washing their hands? But it's not a sanitation issue here. It's not a sanitary problem. The Pharisees aren't so bent out of shape because they're not being, being clean, that they're not using the right soap to wash their hands. That's not the problem here. The problem is with their tradition not being followed. They expected you to wash your hands in a certain way. 
and the disciples did not do that. This is not a biblical issue here, is what I want us to understand. The way that they were to wash their hands was not a biblical issue. The Old, the Old Testament only prescribed ceremonial washing for the priest. What we have here is, is we have a tradition issue. And, and get ready for the details here, because I want to lay this out for you and show you what this came to be. Not because God said it should be, but because these, the fathers and the elders of the people said it should be this way. Look at verse number 3. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. So I want to give you an example of the, the ceremonial washing that the elders would have prescribed. Water was poured from a jar onto both hands with the fingers pointing up so the water would run off the wrists. Then you turn your hands over and you pour the water over the top of your hand so that the water could run down off the fingers. Then each hand was rubbed with the fist of the other hand. So, I mean, you're not lathering here, you're using your, your fist. Strict Jews would follow these regulations before every meal and between each course of the meal. Could you imagine that? The burden of that? Can you imagine forgetting to use one fist or something during one course? I mean, you're ceremonially unclean at that, unclean at that point. And that's just an example of, of one of the types of washing. These, the washings were more elaborate when people would return after going out. You would leave town, you'd go to the market, you'd come back, and the washings got even more intense. I mean, because in their minds, who knows what or who they might have come into contact with when they left their house. And they were so worried about being ceremonially unclean that whenever they'd leave and they'd come back, they have all these traditions that they would wash. And you say, why are you talking about that? Good question, I guess. But what I want us to see is I want us to see the, the silliness here that these people are, are adding on to something that God never even commanded. They're just adding these, these rules and these regulations to make themselves clean or to seem clean on the outside. Look at verse 4. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. We're talking about tradition and rules placed on the people by men, not God. And that's the key here. Every meal or snack would have been a chore. I mean, imagine if we still did this today. And I'm sure there are some people who do continue this. But for why? For what? So they can feel holy and, and righteous? Verse number 5, Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? The tradition of the elders here is extra-biblical traditions passed down to try and protect people from breaking the law. They wanted to be so careful to not break the law that they started adding rules to help people not break the law. So God gives the law. 
And then they are so concerned about not breaking that law that they start building a fence around God's law and say, okay, let's not even get close to God's law. Let's obey these rules that, that we set up. God's law is impossible to keep. And then you try to add rules that are even more difficult than what, than what God said, and you see this, this weight and this bondage just stacking up. These rules became a book known as the Mishnah. And I don't know if this is hyperbole or what, but one commentator said that there were 30 chapters in the Mishnah on how to wash pots and pans. I mean, you think it's bad when your mother-in-law comes over and tells you how you should be washing your dishes. Imagine pages in a book written on how to possibly wash your hands. And then it says there's a whole volume on how to rinse your hands. So we have the Mishnah. Then they wrote another book to explain the Mishnah because the Mishnah was, was difficult to understand. That was the Gemara. They put the Mishnah and the Gemara together to make another book known as the Talmud. These were the traditions. These were the rules of men. Extreme? Pr pretty extreme. When we consider God already laid it out. And the law is, is serving the purpose of, of showing that we can't perfectly keep God's command. And that we need something more. We, we need a help. We need, we need a Savior. What a heavy weight to carry around. Could you imagine if you had to walk around every day wondering if you were right before God because of the way that you washed your pot? This is the bondage. This is the weight put on these people. Over time, they began to base their spirituality on how well they followed the traditional requirements and ceremonial rituals. And their works became their God. What they did, or how well they did it, became their God. They forgot the original command. They forgot that God had said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Because their whole lifestyle was a God in itself, trying to superficially make themselves holy. And that's a big problem. So I, I said all this so that we understand this background of, of the Pharisees and the, the scribes coming in here. So that we see the attitude of these people calling out Jesus in this passage. They were concerned with the, the superficial condition of the disciples of Jesus, which really they weren't. Uh, they were concerned with trying to trip Jesus up and catch him up and discredit Jesus. But on the surface, it looks like they cared what, was, what his disciples were doing. We have a people that did not have a sincere love for God. We have a group that practiced religion and traditions outwardly without regard to the condition of their heart before God. A group that hated Jesus and who He claimed to be. They call out Jesus and the disciples for eating without washing their hands in a way that, that was the way that was traditionally appropriate. The scribes and the Pharisees, they're, they're furious. They're looking for answers. How can you do this? Look at the way Jesus responds. Because 
you would think this is a pretty serious accusation against Jesus and his disciples here. Like, you're messing up. These traditions are important, and you're not making your disciples do it. What are you thinking, Jesus? How can you do this? You're not doing what's right, and you're claiming to be the Messiah. And Jesus doesn't come in and explain himself away here. Look what he says, verse number 6. He answered and said unto them, Well hath Esaias the prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus isn't sugarcoating anything here. He doesn't really answer their question. What he does is he calls them out. He says, Isaiah had something to say about you. And he quotes from Isaiah 29, 13, if you're wondering where he's quoting from. But he says, you guys are hypocrites. That's not the only time we'll see that. Uh, one of the most powerful occasions is in Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Jesus lets them know, here's what's going on. You might look good on the outside. You might keep these rules and traditions. You might wash your hands just like the elders and the fathers said that you should. But inside, you're still wicked and sinful. You're hypocrites. Verse number 7, How bid in vain do they worship me? teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. They emphasized external rules and regulations and traditions and neglected a genuine love of God. Their system had the appearance of loving and worshiping God, but their worship of Him ended at the surface. It was empty. It was hollow. It was about themselves. It was a religion of self and how good they could look to other people. And that's a problem. Verse number 8, For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. So Jesus used the word laying aside there. That means to leave to omit, to put away. So they were more concerned with keeping this fence that was put around God's law. They were more concerned with keeping that stuff and what it transformed into being than they were with actually doing what God said. It's sad because we see so much dedication. We see so much work. We see people who are extremely loyal, who are extremely religious, but for what? So they could have a good appearance before others. So that, that others would, would think they were great. So that they think they could earn God's favor. And because they did things so well that they would be right with God. But they were still guilty before the Father no matter how well they washed their hands. And Jesus plainly exposes to them what they were doing and what was going on. They were wasting their lives following a religious system that failed to worship God. 
verse number 9. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. That, those words, full well there, are so interesting because it's talking about them refining the act of, or them becoming, becoming experts at rejecting, at setting aside God's commands so that they could keep their own traditions or finding loopholes in what God said so that they could do what their father said. It's interesting that the scribes and the Pharisees had accused Jesus and the disciples of wrongdoing. Because Jesus and his disciples were not guilty of, of wrongdoing. The real wrongdoing was committed by the ones pointing their finger at Jesus. Their hands may have been clean, but their hearts were not. And that's the issue. They were not worshiping God. They were not loving God. They looked the part, but they were still guilty on the inside. And they're headed for, a judge, for eternal judgment, taking all their, their rituals and traditions with them. And Jesus is going to give them a specific example of how they were doing this and let them know, hey, this is what you're doing. This is why it's wrong. Uh, and you have a problem here. Verses 10 through 13, let's just read all those together here. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, uh, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. So Jesus takes them back to the beginning here, to Exodus chapter 20, verse number 12, and then he goes to Exodus 21, verse 17, and he quotes them what's going on here and what, what God had said and the consequence for not following what God says. God himself had given clear instructions on how the people should respect, how the people should honor and treat their parents, and the seriousness of that command. God gave a clear command, but you guys, he's telling them, have developed a way in your traditions to avoid obeying God. What came along with honoring father and mother was the responsibility to love them, to respect them, to help meet their needs as they become, or if they became, unable to provide for themselves. And we see that in there because Jesus talks about when they have a need, you turn them away saying, you don't have to follow it. That's, he's alluding to that here where honoring your father and your mother was more than just saying, yes, sir, and, and yes, ma'am. It, it, was, it was a lifelong commitment that they had there. Verses 11 and 12, their loophole was when their parents had a need that they didn't want to help with, they could just say, Corbin. That, that means a gift. And the idea there is that you say Corbin over, over stuff that you have, and then that declares it as a, a gift or an offering to God. It was God's, and then you, you couldn't give it to your parents. You couldn't help your parents out. So we have this, this Corbin phrase, them throwing out, and it's like, sorry, I've declared it a gift for God already. I can't help you. So you're using God in a way to not honor 
your parents. That word korban is, is a Hebrew term. It means devoted to God. And it's referring to, to offerings of money or material goods that had been pledged to God. And this was another tradition that, that was developed over the years. It was a pledge that didn't have to be carried out immediately. And, and I want you to stay with me because I want you to see how this works. Because they could, they could get some money, they could get some possessions, and they could immediately declare Corbin. It's a gift to God. And then they could hold on to that because just because they declared it a gift to God or a Corbin, they didn't have to give it to God right away. So they could hold it in their possession. But if anybody needed it, they didn't have to give it to them because they could say it was for God. As long as they wanted, just so they said it was for God. But when they wanted it, they could declare Corbin over it again, and then they could use it for whatever they wanted to. I mean, that's pretty, pretty clever loophole there. To not having to honor or, or take care of, of their parents. They could avoid honoring their parents and look like they were honoring God while they were doing it. Do you see that? They could look spiritual while disobeying God. It really exposes their sinful, selfish heart condition. And then verse 13, I thought it was interesting the way Jesus ends this here. He says, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things ye do. So he's telling them, hey, if, there, if there's something that God said that you don't like, your traditions make a rule up for it or a loophole for it so you can do whatever you want. And Jesus says, this is just one example. Many such like things do ye. You have placed your traditions higher than God's words. You have passed your traditions down as being more important than what God has said. What a sad state. Your worship of God is empty. It's false. You might think you are righteous, but you are guilty before God. The solution to their problem was repentance, is repentance. But they stayed in their prideful ways of hypocrisy, rejecting the words of Jesus and hating him more. And, in, and thinking of these, these scribes, these Old Testament scholars, thinking of what they should have known about the coming Messiah and the one they should have known about standing right in front of them, showing them the errors of their ways, that they stayed in their condition of hard heart and their prideful self-righteousness. And they rejected the Messiah right in front of them. And they hated him more and more and more. And it's such a sad story uh, so many sad details going on there. A whole group of people being misled, following astray. And we can find this, this same thinking today of people glorying in self-righteousness. Of 
the idea of, of God is so lucky to have me. You know, I do all these, these good things. And we get this idea of uh, we see people glorying in their self-righteousness and mis- missing that it, it's a heart issue. Uh, the only solution to our unrighteousness is Christ. It's not doing doing more. It's, it's not giving more money. It's not coming to church more times or visiting more churches or doing more Bible study or washing your hands a certain way. That is not what God is looking for, for our righteousness. Righteousness can only be found in Jesus Christ. Oh, is it wrong to come to church? Is it, is it wrong to give money? Is it wrong to wash your hands before you eat? No. But if you're counting on those things to earn you favor before God, then that's a big problem. God has created us for a purpose, to love him, to bring glory to himself. There are good works he has for us to do. But don't be confused thinking that your righteousness is found in those things. Those are illustrations that Christ is your king. And I think of, I think of Paul. Uh, I mean, wrote, God used him in such a great way. But if we consider who he was and how God worked in his heart and how he was changed... Philippians chapter four, or sorry, three, and then we'll we'll end with this. I want you to see the the change in the mindset here of the apostle Paul. Philippians three verses. We'll start in verse four. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh. I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness. This is an ex-Pharisee talking here. My righteousness is, what, I, what I've done is, is lost, it's dung. I was elite of the elite. My bloodline was even awesome. If anybody would be able to be self-righteous, it would be me, but guess what? Nobody can be. They're all but lost. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. His desire went from living in self-righteousness to knowing his Savior. 
we see this true heart of, of worship. We see this passion. We see this, this love for God. And that's where it's at. It's in Christ. True righteousness is found in Jesus alone. Not in, in what we can do or, or what we have done. Uh, it's a popular idea. But just because it's popular, it sure doesn't mean that it's right. Jesus is continuing with this theme here that it's, it's in me. Righteousness is in me. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you so much for this time uh, together. I thank you for this example that we see in Scripture uh, of these people, this whole religious system that twisted what you had said in, into what they wanted it to be. Um, I, I pray that you will help us not to, uh, not to get caught up in self-righteousness, but that, I mean, it's so easy to look at this story and say, man, they were, they were awful. But I wonder what traditions that, that we hold on to or what, what things that we do that we, that we glory and that we seek your approval or seek self-righteousness through. That, that we might be counting on. Lord, you're the only way. You are the only true path to righteousness. Their justification is only through Jesus Christ. I pray that you will work in our hearts, that you will challenge us, that you will help us to examine ourselves. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.